welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, we have another Womp Womp Wednesday. Looks like CJ Beathard is a glorified tackling dummy. Boy, does he get beat hard. Uh, he's running He's running the Ur Raid offense. Thank Gary Bratch for that one. Uh, and we've moved on from the elegant tank to just stop breaking bones. Doesn't make any sense. Why are they breaking so many bones? I don't know. But we've got neck bones breaking. We've got forearms breaking. We've got other forearms breaking. Uh, lots of things are breaking, including the hopes and dreams of anyone who thought the Niners would be 8-8 eight eight this year. Remember that? Yeah, I can think of a, a name or two who thought 8-8 eight eight might, uh, might have been in the realm of possibility. Hopefully you picked the under on those Vegas odds in <laughs> case you're a betting individual. But let's get to the game recap because there are lots of things that we think this was a tough game to get through, man. This Arizona game was, I mean, I mean we, we predicted wins, right? We predicted yeah. not just a cover, but a win. We thought the, the fight in Drew Stanton's would come in and, and do exactly the opposite of what they did to us, which was look competent. Drew Stanton had a pass that he should have had intercepted in the end zone that somehow ended up a touchdown. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the 10-point route was on. <laughs> the 10 point god this was such a miserable game right this is like the the opposite of the the rams thursday night football game it's just like just brutal to we get peaked in week three uh, oh yeah we peaked week Ab- three absolutely i mean to be fair that was like one of the best games so far of this season so yeah. at least we got to be part of something good this it's season. it's that it's uh it's houston seattle yeah, uh, and then probably that Raiders Chiefs game. Yeah, I think the, which uh, hilarious that two of those games happened on Thursday night. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it was rough, man. It, it was just kind of a rough game to get through. Um, I think the I mean the logic of picking a win there, right, is like it's got to happen at some point. But now I'm not especially convinced that it's got to happen at some point. I, maybe I definitely it's just, maybe it's just going to be zero and sixteen. I've that's cooled, how it is. I've cooled off that horse, uh, despite what the numbers say. Yeah, uh, you know because yeah. math. <laughs> so number one thing we think is really of course about the offensive line the offensive line was going to be the story of the game uh the cj Beathard was pressured on 22 as 58 dropbacks that's 37.9 percent 11 different cardinals had at least one pressure and eight different players had a multiple pressures a couple of the usual suspects chandler jones Corey peters they both had a sack a hit and two hurries and this, of course, is for a team that did not enter with spectacular pressure numbers. The pressure rate going into last week was just 33.2%, which put them at 22nd in the NFL. So it's not like we're going up against one of the elite lines like we did when we went up against uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles. That netted us 60% pressure rate. Now you get <laughs> a below average team and you, you know, kind of lift them up to above average. So. David, what do you think the Niners should do with the offensive line once Staley gets back from his broken face? I mean, you're you're hoping that it gets better when you can, you know, at least have two tackles that you can mostly rely on in, in pass protection, right? It's like, I mean, th- those guys have been by far the strongest assets that they have um, in in pass protection, and it's 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 like that's what you're you're hoping that you can get the the pressure uh, effectively handled on the edge with those guys. And then, you know, you just you just hope that you can get the ball out quick enough or that you can do some different things, whether it's, you know, I I think one thing that you could maybe say that Shanahan should probably do a little bit more of is try to get the quarterback on the move a little bit more and and get some more. I mean, you get all the play action stuff, but even a lot of the, the, the play action, right, is is still kind of straight drop back stuff, right? They're faking the handoff, but still settling mostly center in the pocket, not really looking to move the pocket one way or another. So I think you could look for things like, some more designed rollouts and, and just things to get, uh, you know, to give a little bit of help to that interior line. Cause I don't think there's just not a good answer there. Right. I don't know how you shuffle, um, things around a whole lot to, to make that a little bit better. I think the one area, right. That we're looking at and coming out of this game was Eric Magnuson, who was a guy that, you know, I, I think we both thought had a pretty strong preseason and was definitely deserving of, of grabbing a roster spot. And one of his biggest assets was the versatility, right? The ability to play basically every position. He was a college tackle, um, you know, slotted in at guard primarily during the preseason, also played center. Um, so you, you like to have a guy like that as, as one of your backup linemen. And it's at this point, why not try him over Lake and Tomlinson, right? Lake and Tomlinson's just been an absolute nightmare. What, what do you have to lose at this point in the season uh, rather than try to find out what you have in this kid? Lakin Tomlinson has been an absolute liability for the 49ers. His game grade against the Cardinals was 38 overall. Remember, this is a 100-point scale, not out of 40. (laughs) 
Uh, it's definitely, definitely not out of 40. Definitely not out of 40. Uh, uh, yeah. His run block grade was 45, uh, which puts him firmly in poor territory. Uh, and his 33.2 pass block grade is not much better. He is consistently the weakest link on this team. Uh, and Kilgore has kind of some up and down games. We'll talk about Kilgore in a minute, but he struggles against elite competition. But he's got a little bit of value there, especially in the run game. You've got Lincoln Tomlinson. He just doesn't do anything good. Yeah. And and that he's he is he is firmly above the the Beatles Devi line. But that's but he's not above it by much. That just like is like cool. You are maybe deserving of being on a roster on like half the teams in the league. Uh, or, or something. Jo- Joe Looney becomes a free agent after after this year. You could bring Joe Looney back. <laughs> bring him back. <laughs> we have to go back. Uh it's right, it, it, and I think again, it, it was a guy that I think you understand the signing, right? It's not like you have a ton of great options at that point in the season to be able to add uh, a quality player. I think he was, you know, and has been mostly an upgrade over, you know, guys like Beatles and Devi, like you mentioned. Um, but it's still not great. And, and you know, again, this season we talked about it a little bit last week, and, and you're really starting to transition into we have to evaluate the players on this roster and know uh, as well as we can considering all of the injuries that you're dealing with, but you have to try to make decisions on guys that are, you know, going to be a part of your team next year. And, and whether or not I think with Lake and Tomlinson, you know, that that's a spot we're looking to upgrade, right? I know I have all the information I need to make that decision right now. Um, what we don't know is if somebody like Eric Magnuson is deserving of, uh, you know, getting some more playing time and, and maybe, even if he's not good enough to be a starter and he's not the guy that you want there long term, um, you know, you may find out that he's a guy that you can rely on as like your primary backup again because of the versatility that he has. So I think throw him out there and let's see what he got. Eric Magnuson only allowed two hurries on the game. Uh, of course, that was much better than a lot of other players, including uh, Daniel Kilgore, who struggled against Corey Peters, struggled in the first game against Corey Peters, struggled again. I'm pretty sure that Daniel Kilgore wakes up with night sweats thinking about Corey Peters. It's the, it's the anti-Joe Staley, Robert Quinn, right? We talked about like uh, Joe Staley, for whatever reason, even when he's not playing all that well, you put him against the Rams, you line uh, Robert Quinn up across from him, and dude's lights out. Like he just has his best games against Robert Quinn. Daniel Kilgore gets murdered by Corey Peters basically yep. every time that they play. Yeah. It's just awful. It's pretty bad. You, you, you've got an overall game grade of 55.6, and you're thinking, okay, that's... Still bad, but it's not as bad as like, you know, Lincoln Tomlinson or, or, you know, in the 30s, which is what we saw Devi and Beatles at. But you think of his splits and he's got an 81.3 run block grade. Daniel Kilgore has an 81.3 run block grade. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. His pass block grade. His, just think of a number in your head right now. Just close your eyes. Dear listeners, think of a number in your head. It's it lower. was it was probably too high. Yeah, it was it's lower, it's, than, it's that lower than that. His pass block grade is seventeen point one. Seventeen point one. Yeah, and that's for and that's for, again that's for this game. So those numbers are all this game. Uh, I've I've never seen was, a grade that low. No, I, and it's it, we were talking about it before. Is like I was looking up and getting kind of the final grades and and getting those thrown in here. Uh, I was like, I, I feel like every couple weeks I have to make a comment about one of the offensive linemen and like, man. I don't really remember seeing a grade that low before. And like this, this is another one of those times. Like I, I really can't remember seeing, uh, you know, a runner pass block grade in the teens. Like it's just, it, it's, it's one of those things like the scale. Yeah. It's technically zero to 100, but you, you figure that like those, those numbers down there at the bottom, they're more kind of theoretical. You know, they're, they're not, they're not really there. Theoretical physics. Uh, and it's just like, nope, I guess, I guess people do eventually get there. It's like a singularity. You kind of know it's there, but no one's ever really seen one. Cause if you do, you die. Um, and yeah, that's, that's uh, we're staring at 17.1 right in the face. It's rough, man. Uh, yeah, he just had, I mean, Peters and, and look, Peters is a very good player. Um, he's somebody that, uh, strangely enough, like we've talked about several times, I think, um, you know, over the last couple of seasons going against the Cardinals, um, very good player, but he's not like some elite run defender or, or, yeah, I mean, uh, interior defender. He's not like an Aaron Donald type of guy. Like he's just a very good quality player does, you know, he's in the right spots consistently. He's doing, uh, you know, carrying out his assignment, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he just 
flat out abused Daniel Kilgore in this yeah. game. It was um, really, really bad. I mean, I posted tough. a couple clips on on Twitter yesterday as we were looking at film, and there are just snaps where Daniel Kilgore is literally on his face. On his face because he's trying to take Corey Peters on one-on-one, and Corey Peters just brushes him aside and has a, a, a literal free rush at CJ Beathard. Just free rush, 330 pounds of mass jiggling at you. And, and you've got nothing to do but just throw your little noodle arm to the left sideline, hope it gets there, and then duck for cover. He's tough, man. All right? He's tough. He's, he's tough. He needs you to, need to keep going out there and being tough for a few more weeks. He needs, he's, just, he's a glorified tackling dummy. He is a glorified I, tackling dummy. Yeah, I guess I didn't, I didn't get to see the response or anything, but I, I saw a, a comment on Twitter at some point that I guess somebody asked him about, like, what do you think about being effectively a tackling dummy until uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is ready to go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one that's a strange question to ask a person, I guess, but whatever. He's gritty. He can take it. It's gritty. Uh, Corey Peters, 35th ranked interior defender uh, with an overall grade of 81.4, just a shade worse than Leonard Williams uh, for the New York Jets, which is kind of a, a good contextual piece to put in there. But yeah, overall, I mean, it was pretty obvious that the the 49ers did not have a good game from the offensive line. And what we think is that Eric Magnuson should definitely get a shot at left guard once Staley gets back to see if you can find, at the very least, your utility guy for next year. Or maybe he develops into something more because he had a pretty promising preseason and had, at the very least, a pretty promising week at a position that he didn't really play a whole hell of a lot coming into the season. The next thing we think is that Arizona decided they were going to duo us to death. Uh, so what the hell is duo? Uh, well, duo is a run play that David will talk about here in a minute. But basically, in the second quarter, they based an entire drive off this one play. Uh, and it's a play designed to get maximum double teams to try and basically bludgeon their way down the field. And it kind of worked. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of their go-to play. This is um, you know something that uh, if you've paid attention to the Steelers in, in recent seasons, like this is a play that Le'Veon Bell does really well on and, and that they run a lot. Um, you know, there are quite a few teams. Dallas has been a team uh, that mixes it in pretty heavily with their zone stuff. Uh, the Raiders, you know, primarily they've gone more zone this year. But if you look at some of their last couple seasons, like this is a play that they love. And and really, it's a it's more of a man blocking play. Um, you'll hear it referenced to as like power without a puller, essentially. So it, it gets some of the same kind of um, basic principles there that you get with power in terms of wanting to create double teams at the point of attack. You're looking to kind of collapse things down. Your, your double teams are working to the backside, right? So that you're, you're trying to kind of build that wall there, seal off the backside of the defense um, like you are on like a power or counter type of play. Um, so it's, it's really, yeah, it's just kind of a, a tough physical downhill running play um, really helps when you have running backs that have that sort of patience and vision, right. Of, of a Le'Veon Bell, like type of, uh, of back here. It was like the prototypical example there, obviously, but this is, yeah, a play that they love it, the dead giveaway. And the giveaway that we saw in this game is, is overloading blockers to one side of the field, right? So if you see two, three tight ends, uh, to one side of the field, the way Arizona loves to do it is they'll start with two tight ends. They'll motion Larry Fitzgerald down to that side. Um, and he'll kind of act as the third tight end cause he's such a good blocker. Um, and then it's just, we're going to, we're going to try to move you off the ball and, and be more physical than you. And it was something that they did a ton in this game and had a, a good amount of success with. And they didn't even try and hide it that like on that yeah. drive in the second quarter, it wasn't even like they tried to dress it up or bring in a different formation or do a different kind of motion. It was the exact same motion from the exact same formation and the exact same play. At one point, they ran three. Uh, they ran the exact same play three times in a row, yep. uh, and it was actually really interesting to see how the Niners played it because the the play was actually a bit more effective against DeForest Buckner than I would have thought. Um, he he didn't hold up as well as he typically does against that double team. It's not like he played poorly or anything. He still had a pretty good game, yeah. but it was a bit more effective, and I think that you're, you're going to see teams try and scheme running plays that are going to attack DeForest Buckner more and more because he is clearly the, the defense's best player. Uh, you're gonna, we, we've seen some traps, and now we're seeing some duo, which is going to make sure that they get a double team on DeForest Buckner. But you've got uh, Ronald Blair, who eventually started playing the play very well, and Ruben Foster, who basically, like you could see him learning on the fly as, as the plays was like, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I've seen this before. Oh, but by like the second and third time you saw the play, he was basically like blowing it all up. Yeah. Uh, and it was really, really fun to watch. Uh, it's in the second quarter. I tweeted out a couple of those links as well in case you want to catch those. But it was it was a play that I didn't think would be effective overall. And yet 
the you know they, they were committed to the run. They were just doing it over and over and over again. And you know, Adrian Peterson, who's someone who I thought prior to the season was completely done, all of a sudden rattles off 156 yards, and and it was in large part because of their commitment to this play. Right. I think the commitment was the key part, right? It wasn't like they were really ripping off a ton of huge runs, right? Right. It wasn't, um, you know, these big chunks that they ran the ball with 37 carries Peterson had 39, something like that. Like it was like the most carries he's had uh, in forever, essentially. Maybe even a career high. I think they mentioned during the. Uh, No, I think I think it was like his career high since like oh nine or some shit. It was it was something. Um, I mean, 30, 37, 39 carries, whatever that ended up being like that is. Uh, a ridiculous number of carries for a back in a game uh, in in today's league. So um, it, it was something, yeah, they were obviously very committed to it. And um, it, it's, again, it's a play that, yeah, you don't really try to disguise it or dress that one up a whole lot. The teams that you see run that uh, a good amount, it's we're going to throw a bunch of tight ends over here on one side of the, the, the field. We're going to run it that direction. And, you know, you're just going to have to prove that you can, beat those double teams and beat those blocks and, and be able to come off and make plays. And if you can't do that, we're going to be content picking up our four five, six yards, play after play after play. It was indeed a career high 37 carries. Uh, it was the most carries for a player in his thirties. Yeah. That's a run, I mean, running back. I guess 37 fucking carries is just insane. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot. Of- I mean, that's what, I mean, I guess that's what happens when that's what you have the ability to do when you have, well, Drew Stanton, at quarterback, that's what you want to do. And then when you have a lead, you can actually yeah. do that. You can stick with that run game. So Drew Stanton got Blake Bortles, basically, is what we're saying. It was like, hey, we're just going to run. You have to make like four throws uh, and, and off Yeah, they go. treated him like uh, like Trubisky, right? Which yeah. is basically like how my uh, high school coach treated me at quarterback. He's like, yeah, <laughs> we get like four rollouts, man. You better hit that fucking fullback in the flat, too. Don't be taking <laughs> any chances. Like, that's basically what they're doing with Drew Stanton. Now, with DeForest Buckner, you start to wonder whether or not he is beginning to see the wear and tear of three really, really snap-heavy seasons. You, you've got 500, 548 snaps so far this year, which is the most by an interior defender by 20 snaps. The, the next closest person was the aforementioned Leonard Williams. He's got 524. Buckner's on pace for 974 snaps this year. Remember, he had over 1,000 snaps last year, and it wasn't like he had a bunch of rest at Oregon either. His utilization at Oregon was also very high. So you've got a senior year at Oregon where he was used a ton, a rookie year where he played basically a season and a half, and now a third straight year where he's on pace to almost touch 1,000 snaps. And overall, I could see how if you're going to see like 16 double teams a game and 37 runs, you're going to begin to lose some effectiveness over the course of the game. It's tough. It's it's so tough. I mean, yeah, that final year that he was at Oregon, he led the nation. He led all FBS players, interior defenders um, in snaps played. Um, and, and so this is now like the third consecutive season that he is um, has the highest snap count of any player at his position. And yeah, it's eventually I mean, you heard him talk about it this offseason, right? When it was Robert Sala was going on about like, yeah, I sure as hell hope he's not anywhere near a thousand snaps. And then all of a sudden you have injuries. I think the plan that they had earlier on in the season, right? He was right around 70%, 70 to 75% uh, of snaps. Most games. I think that's a really good number for him because he, he obviously has the ability to play high snap count. So you can, you can kind of inch him up there a little bit, but you want to keep it around that number so that when he is out there, that he can be at peak effectiveness, right? And, and go do crazy to Forrest Buckner things. And when he's out there, 90-plus percentage of the time, it's just tough to do that. Aaron Donald, who, of course, is the the league's premier interior defender, he is the best at his position, which is the same position DeForest Buckner plays. He's had 375 snaps on the year, yeah. for context. 375. And I think, and he missed, what, one game? Yeah. So uh, yeah. And, and you've got DeForest Buckner, who's at 548. And Dominican Sue has 429. Uh, which is still a hundred. Sue, Sue's another one of those guys. Sue's a, a very high snap count guy. But that's still 120 yeah. snaps, and 120 yeah. snaps is two games. I mean, that's two full games. Yeah, I mean, that's like I mean, like the comparison there is like Sue is is looked at as a guy that plays a ton of snaps, and he's still that much. Uh, there's still that much space between him and, and yeah. where Buckner's at, right? Yeah, Geno Atkins is at 399. Linville Joseph is at 314. I mean, th- this is definitely something that, to monitor, and I, I wonder if. His effectiveness kind of wanes a bit as the season goes on, not because he's any worse at football, but just because he's playing a lot of snaps. It's tough. It's tough being out there, and they just 
don't have a ton of other options at this point when you have, you know, what, three, four guys yeah. on the D-line go down with injuries or yeah. at least miss some time with injuries. It's, and if it, if it were just one year or if it were just, I'd be like, okay, it's just one year. I mean, the players play a lot of snaps in a year, especially if you have deep playoff runs, um, right? Like you think of the Niners when they were in three NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl. I mean, you're, you're basically playing a whole almost the whole season at that point, yeah. more over the course of three or four years. It happens. Players can do it. You just worry about you know, at the point at which you're Owen, Owen nine, you know, looking down the barrel of that gun. Yeah. I mean, it, right. Is, is getting those buckner out there for those extra 10 snaps in a game. Like, give me some really, doosable, man. Give me really some doosable for you. Dayton Jones, doosable. Uh, give yeah, me those. Throw Tony McDaniel out there. Yeah, like, dude. Let me see let, it. Let these, let these guys go be the Forrest Buckner's CJ Beathard. That's right. Is what we're saying. That's right. Uh, the other thing that we think, so number one is going to be give Magnuson a shot at left guard. Number two, Arizona do it us to death. Third thing we think in this game is that Akella Witherspoon might already be our best corner. So we're going to get like full Rex Ryan here. We're going to talk about some feet. Let's just you and me go on a trip. Talk you about some feet. I had to make it weird. Man. I'm not, ta- had, I'm not talking about bare weird. feet. I'm not talking about bare feet. I'm talking about fully cleated feet. Fully cleated feet. Fully cleated feet. I mean, that's okay. I think we can manage that. Okay, we can manage that. So, Akella Witherspoon has really, really good feet, which is a sentence that's just (laughs) kind of funny. (laughs) Makes me chuckle. Uh, But he, the way that he's able to break down, get in and out of his breaks, and still maintain himself kind of in, in phase in that receiver's hip is really, really awesome. He had a couple of snaps against the Cardinals where he was just... It was almost like he was running the route with the receiver, which is exactly what you want to see from a corner, and especially a corner that you're going to leave on an island. And the, the 49ers left him on an island a couple of times, especially when they were playing straight up cover three. And and he had a really, really good game outside of two plays, which we'll talk about in a minute. But overall, you look at what he's been able to put together so far now that he's been able to break the starting lineup. And I mean, the results are positive. Definitely. You think, it, you think about what cornerbacks need to be able to do in this scheme, right? And you think about what guys like Richard Sherman and and obviously the Seattle crew up there has been doing really well for a while. And it's when you're playing cover three, you think the inside routes, most of the time with those inside breaking routes, you're passing that off, right? You're playing zone coverage still. So a lot of those routes are getting passed off to your underneath defenders. So as a cornerback, I really don't have to, to overplay those, right? I don't need to be too concerned about those in breaking routes. There's some that I want to be in position to, to be able to contest a little bit, but that's not really my primary concern. I want to be able to be physical at the line of scrimmage, play with inside leverage so that I force the receiver to go outside. And once I force him to go outside, I know that he can only do a couple of different things. And and that's going to be either he's going to go deep. He's going to, you know, try to try to get me get over the top and, and, uh, you know, catch a go ball down the sideline. Or he's going to go with some sort of quick or excuse me, deep outbreaking route, right? Your comebacks, your deep outs. And so I have to know then when do those routes typically break? Well, at the NFL level, most of the time, that's going to be like in the 12 to 15 yard range. So I need to know that once I start getting to that point on the field, I need to be ready for him to break down and make that cut because if he doesn't, that means he's going deep down the sideline. And so if I can get those few things down and, and be able to anticipate what the receiver is doing when he takes that outside release uh, and be on top of that, you can be a very, very good cornerback in this type of system and I think right now we're seeing him do those things really well. You mentioned being able to stay in phase and and be like he's running those outbreaking routes with the receiver. That's what we want to see. That's the type of stuff that we just didn't see from Rashad Robinson, right? He could play the deep ball typically, and he could stay in phase there, uh, especially if he you know was able to be successful at the line of scrimmage. But once the receiver broke down and did anything underneath that, he struggled to stick with him. And, and it's just it's tough to be successful in the system when you can't do that. And so I think right now we're seeing, um, you know, pretty big strides, I think, from Witherspoon uh, early on. I mean, this is what game three, right, that from him that he's getting significant playing time. Um, So I think already we're starting and it's not perfect by any stretch, but we're we're seeing him um, improve in the ways that you wanted to see him improve after the preseason. He's improved in coverage. You look at his recovery, and I think that's what differentiates him more than differentiates him from Rashard Robinson. Rashard Robinson, once he made a misstep or got something wrong, he yep. was he was gone. He was out. He he wasn't going to recover. Akella Witherspoon again isn't doing everything perfectly, but when he does make a misstep or he does do something wrong, his he is able to recover and get back into a position wh- which you don't always expect from young cornerbacks. And that's exactly what happened on one of those two big plays that he gave up. 
So the first one was going to be that double move to open the game. It was a really, really crappy way to open the game. But I think this is just a product of his youth. He wasn't expecting that double move. And, and all of a sudden, the receiver just blows right by him. I think that the, I, we want to see... He's probably going to get attacked with a double move. If I were a coach, I'd say, look, he didn't do that double move. Keep oh, doing yeah. it until he stops it. I mean, Bruce Arians isn't dumb, right? We're going to yeah. come out. We're going to test the rookie cornerback right away. Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and so I think the other coaches are probably going to do that. I'd like to see him learn and not get consistently beat with those double moves because that's where you start to get concerned. But those, I think, are just the pains of being a young cornerback in the NFL. Happens once. Don't let it happen again. Right. Um, or don't let it happen often as a frequent thing because cornerbacks get beat. Offensive yeah. players get paid, too. Right. Uh, but then the other one was just that touchdown that he gave up to Jermaine Gresham, and that's where he just got bodied. I mean, he's, Jermaine Gresham's a big dude, and he he stuck his hands out and basically bounced off a dude that had probably 60 pounds on him. <laughs> um, and, and even then, again, his recovery left him in such a place where he was still able to try and make a play on the ball. Uh, he yeah, was, he contested it, right? Yeah. You, you, get a, you get a hand in there. Yeah, and, and it wasn't successful, but... Those two plays don't make a cornerback. We had this exact same discussion with Jimmy Ward. Everyone was railing against Jimmy Ward because he gave up two really egregious touchdowns to Brandon Marshall on Monday Night Football. Everyone saw them, and so Jimmy Ward immediately sucked. And it was a long, slow drumbeat that we had to give you up. Actually, no, he doesn't. He's just a little undersized, and that's going to happen with big receivers. But look, he's doing all these things really well. He's doing all these things really well. And of course, that's exactly what he did. And he's now playing or played safety, I guess, until he broke his arm because they don't drink enough milk. Uh, and Akella Witherspoon is on, the, is on that trajectory. Don't let those two plays obscure all of the other good things that he's done because cornerbacks are going to give up a player to a game. Richard Sherman does it. Darrell Rivas did it in his prime. Deion Sanders did it in his prime. It happens. What you want to look at is the whole body of work. And so far, the whole body of work has been really good. And the one big knock on Witherspoon coming in was his tackling ability, and even that's improved. I was going to say, it's it's not even like we we can't expect him to see some sort of improvement, right, in, in being able to handle some of those more physical receivers. Like, I don't know that it's ever going to be a strength of his, right, where that's the best part of his game. Um, but I think we could see him get better because... Look, man, in the run game, we've come a long way from the slide tackle at Colorado, right? Where he's just like <laughs> business decision. Nope. See, ya. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead here. I'm still playing soccer right now. I haven't fully transitioned out of that. Like a lot of cornerbacks don't want to come up and play force, right? They, they don't win when I, I mean, play force. I mean, there, there are situations where as a cornerback, you have to come up and be the guy that that attacks the line of scrimmage and forces the run back to the inside, right? You have to be that guy because if you're not and you let the the runner get outside, well, you don't have any more help out there, and then it's and that's how you kind of give up some big plays. So this is what Deion Sanders didn't want to do, yeah. as Tony Romo very <laughs> appropriately pointed out. Uh, and it's it, it's not a, a unique thing among cornerbacks. There are a lot of guys that like ain't about that life, and and we saw in this game. Uh, a Keller Witherspoon come in and like come in aggressively. And he basically turned for one snap, Adrian Peterson into Marshall Newhouse and did the, the Newhouse <laughs> copter. Like, dude, he flipped him up like tackle for loss style. All right. Uh, simmer down. It wasn't that bad. He, it was a tackle he, for loss. I mean, yeah, it was less, less dramatic for sure because he's, you know, Adrian Peterson, <laughs> as it turns out, isn't like a 320 pound dude that's trying to carry the ball for the first time in his life. Uh, so it wasn't that sort of magic, but, uh, it was, I mean, it was impressive. It was kind of like a, holy shit. Did he really just do that well, type of play? And the thing, the cool thing that I thought about that play was remember in, in the preseason, he got completely bodied by Carlos Hyde and it was like, welcome to the league kind of thing. Oh, in the training camp where you're not supposed to make contact on. Guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and what he said was that he learned he couldn't take bigger running backs high. He had to go through their thigh. And he said that in an, in an interview specifically, and that's exactly what he did to Adrian Peterson. He didn't yep. he didn't try and go high. He played right through his thigh, and and it was remarkably effective. So he's proving that he can learn. He's proving that he's working on his technical fundamentals, and that's making him a better cornerback overall. And again, he might be the best corner that we have on the roster. So those are the three things that we think about the game versus the Cardinals. We should probably give Magnuson a shot at left guard because our offensive line sucks. Arizona duoed us to death, and we were not expecting them to be as committed to the run as they were. And then Akilah Witherspoon is doing some good things on tape, and he might be our best corner. But that is not what none of those players are going to kind of contribute to the spotlight player of this week. 
And the spotlight player this week, though, is going to be one Mr. Ruben Foster because he finally finished the game. What? It his, finally happened. It finally happened. His overall grade for the game was 85.7, third highest on the team, sixth highest among linebackers for the week. His run defense grade was remarkable, a 90.4, puts him in elite territory. Uh, and his coverage grade was 69.9. Nice. Yeah. He, <laughs> I just got that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, eight total snaps, uh, eight total stops, I should say. Six in the run game, zero missed tackles. And overall, man, I, we were watching a film last night and it was like, all right, we're going to watch this offense. Okay. This kind of sucks. <laughs> and then we put on that defensive tape and it's just like, okay. This this feels a little better. I have at least one thing, one thing that can make me happy. Yeah. I mean, wh- what were some of the things that impressed you about Ruben Foster's game, watching him play, you know, his first complete game? I think with linebacker, the thing that you want to see, right, is is the ability to diagnose plays. You got to be able to process information quickly, and then you have to be able to act very, very quickly on that, right? So... Uh, that was the thing that we saw, you know, 49ers fans got really comfortable with seeing that with guys like Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman playing there for so long. And, and he has, I think that type of ability where it's the physical aspects are just insane, right? We, we know what kind of, uh, athlete that he is and how physical that he is. But when you pair that with really high level mental processing and the, the, the ability to diagnose plays quickly, like it's that's how you get a special linebacker, right? That's the guy that can make the special plays and he's everywhere, man. He's just like, he, it is a see ball hit ball type of thing. Like he's not, he sees a crease in the line and he's not afraid to go attack it and make a play. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's very, very different compared to everybody else on the field. He is just moving it at, at a different, different speed. speed. Yeah. It's that, crazy. We already talked a bit about how he kind of learned on the fly versus the duo plays where he saw them back to back to back and he got better and better at better at defeating the box, the blocks and blowing up the play. But there was also a play where the Cardinals ran power and he was playing weak side linebacker for the game. They moved him back to Will and you see Brock Coyle, who is supposed to take on the lineman and he's supposed to work across the face of the lineman. Well, Brock Coyle does exactly what you shouldn't do and makes the offensive lineman's block easier by trying to go back inside. Offensive lineman is going to be like, all right, cool. I'll take that all day. Just just let me go ahead and have that because that's where I want you to go. And Ruben Foster should be kind of scraping over the top and being more of a cleanup defender than than anything else. Instead, he's like, nope, completely undercuts everyone, knifes right in front of Brock Coyle and makes the tackle. And and there was a pretty big gap there. And it was going to be huge. It was going to be Adrian <laughs> Peterson and Eric Reed one on one. And And I like Eric Reed, but I don't think he wins that. Especially when you're not like moving, you know, Eric Reed with some momentum behind him and, and sure. moving downhill. All right, I can feel okay about he that. He was flat footed. Eric Reed not moving at all. Yeah. Eh. Uh, so, so yeah, it was it was a really really impressive play. Uh, another one that I tweeted out. We'll probably add it to the resources or, or to the article on Niners Nation. But it, it's just it's really fun to watch him move because he he is moving at a different speed. He is, and and it's just uh, I think someone tweeted out uh, heat seeking missile. That, I mean, yeah. that's what that's what he looks like. It looks like there's a magnet attached uh, to the ball and he's and he's just finding it and he's he's hitting it. He's and it's just a ton of fun to be able to watch, you know, uh, just watch some of the plays that he can make and see the range that he has. And, uh, you know, I think really good linebacker play is a lot of fun, you know, is is one of the more fun things to kind of watch when watching football. Um, and, and because he's, you know, he's, it's nice because he's always on the screen. It's not like a, a defensive back or something like that, right? Where you're, you may not even see them depending on the broadcast angle for half the, the game. It's like, he's in there every single snap. It's easy to find him. Uh, and, and he just makes a lot of great plays and it's too, I mean, the coverage grade, which that like for context, like you don't usually see linebackers with super high coverage grades. Like you get around average and that's, that's typically pretty good. Um, but I think that's really the, the thing that I want to see him continue to do because that's the part right in today's game. You have to be able to cover if, if you're a linebacker that can really just play the run and you're kind of a liability in coverage. It, it limits what you can do on defense. It limits, you know, because the, the, the amount of time that you're spending in sub packages going against teams that are ready to throw the ball is just really, really high. I mean, that's the majority of what you're doing. Um, and so you need guys that can be able to match up there. And I think we haven't had to see him do it a ton just yet. Like it's really been more in the run game, I think where he's stuck out, but, um, that's an area that I'm really excited to see 
where he's at right now in, in that phase. Cause I think we expected him to do that. Well, like he does kind of everything well, but uh, that's, I think the, the next step for me that I want to see from him. So really quick, cause we've got to move on. We've got the rundown and, and a couple of other, we've got a preview about the, the Ben McAdoo hair gels, but what, which I still don't understand that dude's hairstyle, but uh-huh. whatever I digress. Why do you think the team moved Ruben Foster to will? Because of course he was the will linebacker and, but he couldn't finish game. Then you got Navarro Bowman, who was the mic, and he eventually gets traded. Last game, they experimented with Ruben Foster at the mic. He was calling plays, but you had people helping him call plays. And then this game, they moved him back to Will. And he, you know, he, other than him finishing the game, he also played really, really well. So why do you think they, they moved him back to Will? Was it a performance thing? Was it a you can't call the plays thing? Was it a eh, we're going to let you focus on one thing? I think it's a protection thing. I think it's a we want to limit the number of hits that you can take in the game because you're kind of looking a little fragile right now. Like we're, we're a little concerned about uh, your ability to hold up. So let's maybe see if we, we can put you in a spot. I think the, the coil play that we talked about, right, is a perfect example of the difference between the two roles there. So in, if you got power and it's coming your direction, right, they're running strong side power. So as a Mike linebacker, your job there is there offensively, they're taking a gap from the weak side, right? They're pulling that backside guy and they're adding a gap to the strong side. The Mike linebacker fills that gap. He is the guy that needs to come downhill, make contact with that puller, and close that hole up. The will linebacker is the guy that can scrape over the top and clean up the scraps and make the play, right? And and kind of be able to typically avoid, it's easier for him to avoid contact, like just the angle that it's coming at, like he can stay a little bit cleaner. So I think you can protect him a little bit better at will, and hopefully have him take a little bit fewer hits. And, and so that would be my my best guess. I, I certainly don't think it's like a we're concerned about him uh, calling the defense and we really need to leave that to Brock Coyle. You know, like that that line of uh, thinking Brock really doesn't Coyle. make a lot of sense to me. High, high football IQ. <laughs> really gritty. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know for sure if that's it, but that would be my first, you know, best guess, I guess. All right. Well, that about wraps up our coverage uh, for the Cardinals game. Let's get into the rundown stories throughout the week or or tidbits from the game that we'll run through here fairly quickly. Let's start with, of course, the pass-happy 49ers. C.J. Beathard threw 51 passes, which is the most for a 49ers quarterback since Tim Rattay. Good old Tim Rattay uh, had 57 attempts in an overtime shootout with the Cardinals in 2004. Shanahan said that 28 of those 51 passes came in four-minute drills, and we had a lot of four-minute drives at the end of the half, at the end of the game. Uh, that is kind of unusual. Uh, incidentally, we've only had the ball for six plays while having a lead, which kind of <laughs> sucks. Uh, but those are the kinds of situations that we're in. Uh, and we've been outscored 123 to 44 in the first half, all contributing to a high number of passes. Probably not something that will continue if the Niners actually ever get good. Uh, so I don't think it's a, a kind of a tendency for Shanahan to... Uh, uh, have a high kind of pass rate as compared to other teams. Right. I mean, the question is, is it really that bad? I think, you know, coming out of that, and I don't think that it is, right? I think situation, uh, as we know, is going to really dictate play calling to a large degree, right? Once you fall behind, um, you're going to be passing more frequently. If you're in those two-minute situations, like Shanahan mentioned, you're going to be passing more frequently, and the 49ers have been doing a lot of that. So I think one of my favorite splits to look at to really see what teams are doing when situation isn't really dictating otherwise is to look at what they're doing on first down in the first half when the game's still within two scores, right? So within 14 points on in within that split so far this season, the 49ers have 107 plays. They're nearly 50, 50 run pass, 53 passes, 54 runs that rate. So teams in general, because you know, you hear uh, coaches wanting to come in and establish the run. Well, like that's the time that the one time that they kind of do it. So they're a little bit more run heavy than normal uh, in those situations. So league average pass rate is 46%. The Niners, right? Just under 50%. So they're a little above league average, but it's nothing crazy. And I think the other thing to note there is that they haven't been necessarily overly successful running the ball in those situations. So it's not always been a great idea. They're almost exactly league average in yards per carry. Uh, when running the ball in those situations, just below four yards a carry. Next story in the rundown is going to be C.J. Beathard's sack rate. Uh, C.J. Beathard's sack rate is 8.6%. That puts him sixth highest out of 36 qualifying quarterbacks. Hoyer's sack rate was 7.2%. Puts him at 14th out of 36. The league average is 64 
One of the concerns with, with C.J. Beathard coming out of college was his pocket presence. And it's not proven to be all that great, despite the. And while I know that he's taken a lot of hits and he has a C for an offensive line, even with roughly the same offensive line, Brian Hoyer was sacked at a lower rate than CJ Beathard. That's definitely a problem for CJ. Some of the sacks fall on him, and you can see that in a higher sack rate. Um, so, one interesting, kind of, I think, unusual stat that uh, came across uh, is Marquise Goodwin being a high volume red zone target which is i guess strange thing big so if, dude big dude uh, guy fi- you want to throw fades to yeah definitely um so officially uh, him and kittle are tied with 10 red zone targets i know uh at pff we've got him uh nine to kittle eight to goodwin so i think there's uh maybe some throwaways that officially didn't get marked as a throwaway so there's still a target listed there uh which is is going to explain that difference but even still like a guy that's one of your most targeted red zone players, you usually think of those bigger physical guys that can win the contested matchups. Marquise Goodwin, decidedly not that. Uh, it's strange <laughs> that he's that he's getting all those looks. I got to say it. Six times within the 10-yard line. Six. That's, that's a we lot. We don't spend a lot of time within the 10-yard line. Yeah. That, I mean, that ties him. Th- those, ten, those 10 targets, if we're going to use the 10 number, ties him for 10th league wide. Um, that's, I mean, hey, all I'm saying is, if you're looking for a cheap daily fantasy uh, player, that's that's your dude. That's the receiver to pick. Uh, next door in the rundown is actually going to be another Marquise Goodwin stat. Uh, he's fast. Have you heard? He's fast. I, well, like what's it sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Next gen stats, which is just a fancy way of saying we put Fitbits on players. Uh, clocked Goodwin at 21.68 miles per hour on his 55 yard reception against the Cardinals. That's the third fastest play this season behind. Wait for it. Wait for it. Think of a really fast player. It's not that player. It's Leonard Fournette. What Leonard Fournette has the two fastest plays so far this year in the NFL. Week five and week six. He had a 90-yard run in week five and a 75-yard run in week six. Uh, Marquise Goodwin, not as fast as Leonard Fournette, but almost. Get that man on the Olympic team. Uh, very strange. Ronald Blair is the next door in the rundown. Um, he came back, activated off IR, and actually played surprisingly well like maybe one of the best games that he's played so far as a pro uh and this one ended the game with an 80.8 overall grade which is the fourth highest on the team for the week and it was really in the run defense where he kind of stood out 87.9 run defense grade uh and he was you know we mentioned him a little bit there uh in the duo section but he was a guy it was basically him and foster that when, when they made good run plays uh on defense there was a good chance that one of those guys, even if they weren't making the tackle, that they were involved in that outcome. So uh, it was encouraging play from him in his first game back in an area that the 49ers desperately need some more players. And last, of course, is your DVOA update. That's defense adjusted value over average football outsiders metric for measuring efficiency. Uh, So far this year, the Niners are now standing firm at 29th overall, 30th on offense, 25th on defense, special teams, still top 10. Got to hang your head on something. They are eighth overall, uh, and of course, they're the Niners are 29th overall in DVOA. The team right above the 49ers would be the New York Football Giants. So let's get to the game preview. It is going to be the Windless Bowl, the Hair Gel Bowl. It's going to be something, man. I'm not quite sure what. Well, they got a win, so can't be the winless. Ball. Oh, that's right, that's right. I just, I just ha- get the general stench of it's, winlessness from them. It's not great. Yeah, because they're like borderline going to fire their coach. Apparently, he like makes him practice super hard on Saturday. Like they just don't like him. Uh, I mean, have you seen the guy? He doesn't look like a very likable. He dude. has. Well, what's funny is that like Jim Tomsula is preeminently likable. Like that, everyone loves that dude. He may not be a great head coach, but everyone <laughs> loves him. Sure. Ben McAdoo has that like Jim Tomsula look about him. Like that kind of like I don't look like I know what I'm doing. Maybe because I have a mustache uh, and use hair gel. I don't know. I think Tom Sewell is a little bit more endearing. Like McAdoo's got that like used car salesman type of look where you're just like, you're trying to fuck me, aren't you? He went went from like he went he went from the world's worst haircut, that part down the middle, that like uh, that like Backstreet Boys 1998 part right down the middle haircut to like a full slick back hair gel haircut. I just I don't know what's going on there but not a great move no it really isn't but really the first thing we'll be looking at in the game between the Niners and the Giants is whether or not the pass happiness is going to continue for the 49ers running the ball might be a little difficult 
You've got Snacks Harrison. He's the fourth-ranked interior defender. Uh, Buckner, as a reminder, is second, but his rating is really, really, really good. We've got Dalvin Tomlinson, who consistently makes first contact in the run game. Uh, Harrison has the best run defense grade, and Tomlinson is 14th based on Pro Football Focus's charting. Uh, for context, Buckner is right below that at 15th uh, overall. So you're talking about two interior defenders that are very, very good at stopping the run and very, very good overall with a couple of interior defenders where Kilgore does excel in the run game, but Tomlinson isn't good at anything. Uh, and, and Fusco's having a really, really good season so far. But still, you're looking at these two players that can overmatch interior lines, and, and you might have a case of being able not being able to run into much of anything, and now all of a sudden you might be down by, you know, again, an insurmountable 10 points, and you find yourself throwing a lot. Definitely. It's going to be... T- I mean, the 49ers have had... This was actually something that I went back and looked at a little bit today, um, which is when, you know, started to kind of notice as, as games were going on that whenever they seemed to get good plays in the run game, right, when they would break off those 10-plus yard runs, it seemed that it was always due to... Uh, this kind of like small wrinkle that Shanahan was adding to the typical zone game, right? So it wasn't just your standard run-of-the-mill outside zone play where they were getting these bigger runs. It was always uh, a small adjustment, right, to help his offensive linemen out and give them some easier blocks. And that's generally been the case. There have been very few of those 10-yard runs or more um, that have come off kind of their standard outside zone type of blocking. So it, you you know that he's going to try to do some things to create some plays in the run game, but I don't know that you really have a great answer when you have guys that can just kind of physically dominate you there, right? Like even if you're setting them up with better angles to be able to give them a little bit easier blocks to make, if you're if you're going to get beat, like in, if you have guys that you just can't block, like that's going to be a problem. So I don't think this is an area where Shanahan can really scheme up an advantage and, and be able to help them out too much. It's just going to come down to can they block these guys one-on-one long enough to get the backs outside. I don't think you're going to see them run up the middle a whole hell of a lot with those guys in there. I mean, Snacks Harrison is just a wall, you know, trying to run through, you know, A-gap, B-gap runs. He's just a monster. So I think you got to see him go outside, and it's whether or not the interior guys can do a good enough job to prevent them from getting penetration and blowing up those runs before they have a chance to get wide. So you've got an interior kind of defense that's going to be really difficult to run against. The Niners, interestingly enough, ran a lot of inside zone this last game. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they're going to switch back to hitting more of the edge running plays and maybe try and get more outside, run more of their outside zone, or, or run some more you know, pitch plays. But Yeah, they, some of the toss, they like to do the toss plays, you yeah. know, where they, it's, it's outside zone blocking, um, but it's a way to kind of get to the edge a little bit quicker. So I think, yeah, that type of stuff seems to make a little bit more sense in this one. One thing to note, especially since uh, you've got one really good corner for, for New York. Well, I mean, not really good, but Eli Apple's playing decently. Uh, you, I would be interested to see if they start using their short passing game as an extension of the run game as they've done at other times throughout this season, just because they, they're not going to necessarily be able to run up the middle. So yeah. that's going to be an, an interesting thing to keep track of. But the the second thing we'll be looking for is whether or not CJ Beathard is finally going to get some time to throw the ball, preferably to his right, since he can't do so to his left. <laughs> uh, Staley might be back, which would be early, I think. The, the fact that he could strain really hard and put an air bubble in, like, the fissure of the broken bone of his face, like, that worries me. Dude, I'm going to be, like, I, I'm going, like, a month or multiple months beyond the point of that being a possibility. I'm like, what? Air bubble in my eye? Like, no thanks. Like, I'm no, don't I don't want any part of that. Yeah, like, like, what is he doing? I, I hope he's not out there. But I, I hope he's not out there either. Again, no reason to put him out there. But uh, he will be wearing a visor if he is indeed out there. But Which is kind of badass. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Um, but even if he does not go out there, you still have a Giants team that has one of the lowest pressure rates in the NFL. They rank 28th in the league. Their pressure rate's just 30.9. Uh, and Beathard, when under pressure this season, has been pretty abysmal. He's been really, really bad. Uh, it's it's really... I mean, he's basically been the league's worst quarterback under pressure averaging just over three yards per attempt, which is uh, very, very clearly the worst mark, uh, has a 51.1% adjusted completion mark. So again, adjusted is accounting for drops and throwaways and batted passes. It's basically only taking into account aimed throws, right? Throws where he's actually trying to find a target and has an opportunity to do so. Um, 51.1% there, which is the second worst figure under pressure. He hasn't been necessarily great when when he's been kept clean, but he's at least becomes a functional quarterback there. So he's averaging 
uh, just under 7.4 yards per attempt, which bumps him up to 21st. Uh, And then that adjusted completion mark goes up to over 72%. So again, still a little below average in in both of those figures, but we're we're talking about going from the worst quarterback in the league to a functional player that can, you know, do get things done for your offense. So I think if they can find a way, I don't know if it's going to happen, but if you can find a way to keep him clean, that's your your hope in this game. And we've talked about it in some shape or form throughout the year, but pressure does affect games and pressure takes a, a you know, kind of slightly below average quarterback and it makes him abysmal. It takes, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world and makes him the Brian Hoyers that like sometimes the splits are that big when you're talking about pressuring a quarterback and, and CJ Beathard, maybe because of his youth, maybe because of his noodle arm, maybe because he's got, you know, already has David Carr syndrome. Uh, just is just seeing phantoms seeing, seeing ghosts out just there seeing ghosts out there snaps, uh, for whatever reason uh, he is is terrible when he is pressured and and if he's able to get some time you might see some some drives some positive movement and, and maybe the Niners eke out a win but ultimately if he does get some time will it even matter because who the hell is he gonna throw the ball to I mean at this point you've got Marquise Goodwin who you know alternates between catching deep 55 yard bombs and double coverage and putting a trampoline on his chest to try and bounce the ball right back to the quarterback. Uh, uh, and you've got Kendrick Bourne, who has not impressed in limited snaps, tried to one-up Marquise Goodwin by putting an even bigger trampoline on his chest and bouncing the ball right back to the line of scrimmage. I, was gonna say, I think he got it all the way to the line of scrimmage on Just his about. attempt. So, you know, yeah, bonus. I mean, uh, Trent Taylor, his hard hat didn't protect his ribs. Uh, you've got George Kittle, who was running routes on one leg. On one leg. He tried to make an outcut, and you showed it to me. And the dude basically, like, he's like hopscotching out there. Yep, he's like, nope, not going to touch this one to the ground. Not going to do it. Nope. Uh, there was another one where he got, uh, you know, it was, and this was even earlier, so it wasn't quite as bad yet. I don't think um, where he gets tackled, you know, uh, kind of standing up out of bounds there, and he's like hopping on the one to and, and yeah. holding the other one up in the air so that it doesn't get like rolled up on or something. Um, yeah, he was. It was brutal. So it's like. I don't. I think they they rule him out already for this game, right? It yeah, sounds yeah. like he him and Taylor are, are both done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're looking at Kendrick Bourne, who hasn't really shown anything. Uh, red zone weapon Marquise Goodwin, uh, Garrett Selleck, like stick nod, run that uh, stick nod. I, I mean, yeah. So that's the thing is 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 like, are they just so depleted at the skill positions um, that even if you keep Bethard clean, like it's just not going to make any difference because even if he gets it there, like you're going to be dealing with drops and or guys that just can't get open to begin with. So uh, it's it's tough. I mean, they're just in a, in such a shitty situation offensively with the injuries that uh, it's difficult to know. I mean, you, you hear Shanahan's just like, I'm just trying to find guys that I can put out there that yeah, can do things that's that like the, that's, we need them to do. That was such a disheartening thing to hear is like, look, Ugh. we're going to probably sign some random dudes just so we can fill out a team. Just, we, we're just looking to be functional. Like we, we just want to put an offense out there that can actually carry out the plays that we have installed. Yeah. Like that's it. Anything more than that is a bonus. <laughs> God, God, it's that bad, isn't it? It's that bad. <laughs> it's that. I mean, yeah, we're going 0 and 10 here. Owen 16, bring it on. And that and so that leads us to the last thing we'll be watching, which is what's going to be happening with the safeties. Another position riddled with injuries. You, two broken arms. You, How does two fucking broken arms? I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, I'm saying milk. Add Jim milk. Jim Harbaugh, very disappointed somewhere. <laughs> he's just like really upset. Like he's at this point, he's not even bitter about the Jed stuff. He's just like, Jed, will you get these guys some fucking milk? Like, please, <laughs> please give them milk. God. I'm very concerned. Adrian Colbert looks like he could be a halfway decent free safety. He's ridiculously fast, and he showed his range on one play specifically in in the Arizona game where he was able to go from kind of the the opposite hash all the way to the sideline and break up a play. So whether or not that's able to continue over the course of a full game, who knows? But he at least has the the coverage ability back there. Don't know if he's going to be able to sustain that over the course of a year because – or at least over the course of a game, I'm sorry, because there was also another snap later in that Arizona game where he got really manipulated by Drew, by Drew Stanton's eyes. Yeah, Fitzgerald um, pass up the seam, but the yeah. left seam was... And, yeah. and, and, you know, Drew Stanton whiz at manipulating safeties with his so eyes. Regular Aaron Rodgers back there. That's right. So you, you, de- definitely TBD, but you could see a, a good game from him. And then at strong safety, you may have someone named Dexter McCoyle. Like, who is literally... Not, like, not Dexter McCluster. 
No, <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're not bringing back old Dexter McCluster. Uh, Dexter McCoyle, former CFL standout. He was with the Chargers the last couple of years. He was waived in October. He uh, is a 6'4", 220 safety. The dude's a tight end playing safety. He is a large man. He had a 99-yard interception return in the preseason, and he was rumbling, bumbling, stumbling. I mean, he was big. Yeah, I mean, for for some context there, Cam Chancellor, uh, who we looked up, his listed size is 6'3", 225. So that kind of gives you i mean cam chancellor is a large dude for a safety like that's yeah. not not a normal size really uh especially in today's game so yeah he's he's a big dude i mean dexter mccoyle is like one of those guys where we see him going on he, he kind of stuck out because he was wearing like black sleeves or had a black arm sleeve on you're just like oh wait who the fuck is that that's out new there? um and so he had to like look up okay who's who's wearing number 27 uh oh okay this dude that i've never heard of before so that's where we're at at safety right now um, is a, what sixth, seventh round pick and a dude that we yeah. hadn't heard of um, until yesterday. Yeah, he was signed uh, just a couple weeks ago. I think he's yeah. he wasn't he was signed as depth, maybe a special teams player. Oh, by the way, you're starting. Yeah, cool. Have yeah. fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they they, they seem to, you know, honestly, it wasn't something I was paying super close attention to in this game, but it seemed like they stuck with. Eric Reed still playing mostly linebacker. I think, I think I feel like we saw him at safety a little bit, but um, yeah, it will be interesting to see uh, if they shuffle that back around, if they move him back to safety um, or at least play him there a little bit more often and do something, something else at linebacker. I don't know, man, they're just moving pieces around that, that don't fit because they don't have any other options right now. It's, it's, All right. So no. let's get, let's get to the prediction The the Niners opened up as slight favorites against the New York giants. Then Vegas came to its senses and decided that the New York Giants were going to be three-point favorites against the 49ers. So thus far on the year, we are an astute three and six. Both of us are coming in hot. Uh, this has been a season where we, I mean, we've gone from you know feeling completely butthurt that Reuben Foster got injured week one to riding high in week three and peaking through the elegant tank and now to what feels like near the bottom. Uh, what what happens the rest of the season? What happens against the Giants? Um, I'm giving up. We're done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the I, voice of resignment from David. I, uh, I'm not picking them to win anymore. Um, you know, we, there's been a few times where it's been like, hey, they got to pick, they got to get one. Like, no, they don't. They they don't have to get one. Um, so I'm not going to pick them to win anymore. Uh, I also feel like we're past the point of being able to keep things uh, super close unexpectedly. So I mean. This wouldn't be unexpected to keep it close. The Giants are terrible. Like, I, I mean, I had a chance to watch uh, that game last week uh, fairly closely against the Rams, and man, just got the shit kicked out of them. Um, so it's it's this is not a good football team. If they kept it close here, it, it wouldn't at all be surprising. But I still don't think. I mean, the fact that the Giants are what down an entire receiving core and still far healthier than uh, when the Giants are healthier than you. Like that's a problem. The Giants have been, you know, just are one of the most injured teams in football every single season. It seems like. Uh, so I, I think that, yeah, ultimately they cover. I cut I think they cover the three points. I think it's, uh, I think this there's, is, a, I think there's a decent chance it gets a double digits. I just don't know. Like they're, again, they're moving, they're putting players in spots just because like, not because they fit, not because it's a good idea, but because like they can't do anything else. I, I hear all of that. And that's and like, but this is the last time I'm going to pick them to win. Like, this is the only one. This is the only Th- this one. This is it. This is it. What, what do you have left? You've got, uh, you've got the Seattle Seahawks coming off a bye. You've got the Bears. Uh, who, do, who do they have in December? Looks like uh, uh, the it's Texans. It's like the AFC South. Yeah. yeah so, it's, it's, so you've got the Texans. Yeah. Uh, then you've got the Titans. Uh, and then you've got the Jaguars. And then you've you got the Rams. And I mean, you've got Jaguars and Rams are who the hell would have thought? Two of the best teams in the league. Uh, and, and then you've got, you know, everyone else. I mean, Chicago maybe, but this is the last time I'm picking the Niners to win, I think. Yeah. This is even it. there, you're going on the road to Chicago, and yeah. it's like, all right, whatever. Their defense has been decent enough that they can stop, like, the yeah. dudes that you're picking up off the street and throwing at receiver and tight end. And, That's right. Uh, yeah, man. It's no, Jimmy, Jimmy G just, like, maybe act a little stunted in that playbook. Just be like, 
you know, this one here, this isn't really clicking yet. Uh, yeah. This isn't making sense. I'm sorry, Let's... was that far west zoom down? I'm sorry, what, what, what was, what, I'm sorry. I'm going to go sit back over here with my surface. Yeah, I'm sorry. What's, uh, was, was that southwest protection or jet protection? I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. <laughs> oh my God, he's going to get murdered if they put him out there. He is. He's going to get murdered and it's not going to be good. Uh, so that about does it for this season of the 49ers Better Rivals podcast. Um, that's it. We're done. <laughs> We're done. That's the it. bye week's over. That's we don't it. have a coaching search this uh, this year, so we'll see you next year. Yeah, we'll see you. All right, later. Goodbye. Now that about does it for this week's uh, edition of the Better Rivals podcast. We will indeed be back next week. Because uh, we're masochists, I guess. And, you know, whatever. We love it. We like watching. Uh, and, and we like breaking it down for everyone. So you can catch, actually, a story I did about the, the problem with transitioning to a new language and a new playbook that Jimmy Garoppolo is facing. It's on Niners Nation. And, uh, and you can always see the game cut-ups that we talk about on Twitter. We'll throw them into the episode as well to make your life a little easier because we want to save your carpal tunnel from having to Google anything. Is really that's We're here for you. We are here for you. Uh, you can always follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. And if you do so enjoy these dulcet tones going into your ear holes, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show, uh, and it helps the rankings on the old websites. If you're an Android user, do do the same on Google Play. If you don't have uh, iTunes or an Android, um, then... That's I, weird. How are you listening to us? How I don't understand. Um, on the review note, uh, I, I don't think we've had a chance really to say thank you to those that have left a review. We, Over we, 200 people on iTunes have done us yeah, the favor of leaving um, a review. You brought that up the other day. It had been a little bit since I had a chance to take a look at it. And, um, yeah, a ton of a ton of reviews on there, overwhelmingly positive, um, just incredibly nice things. So thank you uh, a, a ton for doing that. It means a lot to us. Awesome. So thanks again for tuning in this week. And as always... Go Niners. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.